0: Whichever of these is the case, and for that matter, anyone else that's interested, the OBSPOD is for you. Episode 56 Pregnancy and Disability. Over the last year, I've been thinking about pregnancy and disability for multiple reasons. And even as I start recording this episode, I'm realising the title is far too broad. Let's narrow it down. Today, my aim is to discuss physical disability and pregnancy. Last year, through my role as a clinical rep on the RCOG Women's Network, I was invited to join a project being run by the Royal College of Nurses, the RCN, on Pregnancy and Disability. I was somewhat surprised. Why were the RCN running a project on Pregnancy and Disability? Why not the Royal College of Midwives or the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists? Well, the logic behind the project was that nurses have a wealth of experience caring for women with a wide range of disabilities or chronic health conditions. And that actually this knowledge could be shared both with women and with professionals such as midwives and obstetricians who may be less familiar with some of these conditions. I was very excited about the project. I really thought this could be an amazing way forward, developing lots of resources. I got quite carried away and I was brought down to earth by the person running the project to explain that the first stage of the project was simply bringing together and signposting a variety of existing resources and information. I was a little bit underwhelmed, but I went with it, with a view to the next step being perhaps designing some specific resources at some point in the future. The project got a little bit delayed due to the pandemic, but the pages launched in December 2020 with a so-called soft launch. And the pages are brilliant. They include a wide range of disabilities and long-term conditions with an abundance of all sorts of useful links, which I really would urge you to explore. My involvement in the project got me thinking more. About pregnancy and disability. And I'm ashamed to say that, on the whole, I feel maternity services are not well set up for those with physical disabilities. Of course, we can manage, we can gloss over things, and yes, we can make appropriate personalised plans for women. But the reality is, it should just be day to day, caring for women with disability should be the same as caring for any other women. We should be adaptable and flexible to their needs as much as we are for anyone. We might make a complex plan for birth, but I wonder, are we really offering a woman the full range of choices? Or are we unconsciously limiting her options because of our own assumptions or challenges? As I prepared this episode, I couldn't help wondering how many women whom have a physical disability have a home birth. After all, home might be best. It might be the most comfortable setup for them. It's already organised, totally around their needs. It's a familiar environment for them. It's easy. Do we end up instead? recommending a cesarean birth because that's the easy way out for us. We medicalise something just in case, in case we're faced with an emergency, a challenging situation that might take us out of our comfort zone. How much of the advice we give pregnant women with a disability is around our own bias. And what about the whole pregnancy journey How easy access are our antenatal clinics and scan rooms? Are we sufficiently aware of small things that make a difference? For example, I know from some women with difficulty walking that the floor surface makes a tremendous difference. Smooth surfaces can be very easy to negotiate. Anything with joins that could be even slightly uneven make progress much slower. And increase the risk of tripping? How welcome do women with disability feel in our waiting room? Do they feel judged? How are they arriving at the hospital in the first place? As an able bodied person, I have limited experience, but I know in my naivety, I've turned up with a relative in a wheelchair to get on a train, having conscientiously checked that there's step free access available only to be told by station staff that I should have booked 24 hours in advance. This time, I got away with it. They were helpful. But in future, would they be? I follow some wheelchair users on social media, and I know their frustration at the inequity they face for wanting to jump on a train and go somewhere on a whim without pre-planning, just as spontaneously as everybody else. Our local train station by my hospital is notorious for having an extremely large gap between the train and the platform edge. If I find this tricky to navigate as an able-bodied person how would I find it if I was less well coordinated or partially sighted? During my career I haven't encountered that many women with disability who are pregnant. We have had a small number of wheelchair users in my maternity unit. More commonly, I've had women with walking stick or those using other strategies as a walking aid. For example, I've had women that used wheelie suitcases. The first time I saw this employed, I foolishly wondered why the woman was coming to see me on her way to a trip. And I wondered where she was going. Later I realised that this was a strategy. A good solid wheelie suitcase with four wheels on, in one in each corner, gave tremendous stability but was perhaps less noticeable than a young person with a tri-walker or zimmer frame entering the clinic space. I know that women who have difficulty walking, who have existing children, often use a pushchair as their walking aid. And has this become more difficult for them, as during COVID they've been unable to bring children to their appointments? It may make them stand out amongst the population in the waiting room. And what have women faced even to get pregnant? What scrutiny have they had to overcome? Recently, I was invited to help contribute to the making of a radio programme, Able to Parent in which Emily, who has cerebral palsy and uses a wheelchair, considered whether she wanted to start a family with her partner CJ. Chatting to Emily about the issues she faces and her worries and health history and listening to the subsequent programme made me realise the difficulties people with disability face. For a start, there's the obsession that it appears able bodied people have with the fact that she even has a sex life. I find that quite extraordinary. I highly recommend taking a listen to the programme. She talked to a wide range of inspirational people about what it means to parent when you have a disability and what it means to be the child of a parent with a disability. But overall, What was fantastic about the programme was, at the end of the day, it kind of came down to, are you ready to be a parent because of all the same anxieties and worries that anyone has embarking on parenthood? The issues are the same. I can't help but think, as a society, let alone as a profession, we have a long way to go. Francesca Martinez is an amazing comedian who happens to have cerebral palsy and describes herself as wobbly. Her book, What the Star 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 is Normal, is both hilarious and thought-provoking. And again, I recommend it. I love her accounts of enjoying going to nightclubs as a teenager or in her 20s because it just made everyone else fit in with her she just looked like she'd had a few too many drinks. One of the other key passages in the book that I really enjoy is when she spoke at a medical conference about the lived experience of living with cerebral palsy. The way she challenged the doctors in the audience and spoke to them and her account writing about it is just brilliant. One of my saddest regrets about lockdown cancellations was that I had tickets to her play at the National Theatre, all of us. Of course, it never happened. And I'm crossing my fingers that when things reopen, it will be back on as it'll be both groundbreaking and enjoyable, I'm sure. I feel we're in an era where talking about disability and seeing people with disabilities as positive role models and celebrities is beginning. And I think, for me anyway, that stemmed a bit from London 2012 and the Paralympics and the amount we were able to celebrate and embrace the success of these phenomenal athletes. But we've got a long way to go. There's still a lot of inequality The pandemic has particularly brought deaf women or partners sharply into focus with the difficulty of lip reading through a mask. Talking through a mask muffles and distorts the sound and it's more challenging for everyone. I've found it difficult to hear at work, but imagine what it'd be like if my hearing was already significantly reduced. And what if I rely on lip reading? I've needed to remove my mask to make myself more intelligible and I know using a clear visor can be beneficial and I've even seen masks where the centre of it is transparent to aid lip reading. But the pandemic aside, how aware are we of the simple things we take for granted which may present a barrier such as how do you ring the midwife or the maternity triage? for a simple piece of advice. I'd seen online about British Sign Language Health Access, a free British Sign Language interpreting service on behalf of the 70,000 people in the UK that use British Sign Language. When I looked it up researching this episode, I was really disappointed to discover it had closed in April through lack of funding. It was funded for a year during the pandemic. Do we think that deaf people no longer need access to good interpretation and support just because the pandemic is winding down? In the RCN pages, there are some good resources for for deaf people using maternity services. And I managed to come across one description of the maternity journey with accompanying British Sign Language. And what about women who are registered blind or partially sighted? How can they grapple with our paper notes? What's our signage like? What's the lighting like? For a time when I was in a management position at the hospital, I was responsible for the eye unit amongst other services. The lead consultant pointed out to me how difficult it was for his patients to navigate through the hospital and actually find his department. The signs were just not designed with partially sighted people in mind. Obvious really, but again it's these little details that make a difference. So one of the things I loved about being involved both in the Royal College of Nurses project and Emily's journey, Able to Parent, was the fact it made me think, it made me explore, it made me realise what was out there and the things that I hadn't even thought about. So here goes for the zesty bit. Think about your maternity service. How well set up are you for women with a physical disability? Are there very simple things you could do to educate yourself and help yourself? Check out the information and links in the Royal College of Nursing pages. There are some really fantastic resources to explore and I think often we're just not aware of what is out there. If you're caring for a pregnant woman with a specific disability, Use it as an opportunity to challenge your assumptions and educate yourself. And like the Royal College of Nursing project, can we learn a trick or two from the rest of the hospital? In maternity, we're often too used to fit able-bodied people and not adaptable enough to those people that are not. We need to be more adaptable and flexible to their needs But also, sometimes in maternity, we can be in our own little zone, our own little silo, away from the rest of the hospital. And perhaps we need to mix things up a bit more and see what we can learn from other departments. If you're a pregnant woman with a specific disability, know that there are lots of resources out there. And again, explore the Royal College of Nursing pages because there's lots of information. Don't get discouraged. There's lots we can do to plan and personalise your care. But keep reminding us that at the end of the day, you are the expert on your condition, its limitations and the solutions that you might need. We will be there to support you but you may need to point us in the right direction and help us on the way. If there are things you notice about our service that make life difficult for you or just don't work from your perspective, make sure you feed back and let us know. You can help us with our blind spots and things that we perhaps haven't thought about not because we mean to be biased and discriminate, but simply because of our ignorance that we just perhaps haven't thought of before. I do hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of The Obspod. Feel free to contact me on Twitter at FW Maternity or at The Obspod to ask me questions, give me topics for future episodes or let me know what you think. It's absolutely fantastic when you get in touch. I really enjoy reading your comments. As usual, I've tried to include in the programme notes some extra reading about this particular topic, both for professionals working in maternity care and for pregnant women using services. I'd like to reassure you that although I'm talking about my experiences working in maternity care, I take confidentiality very seriously and do not give any personal information about any of my patients. If you've enjoyed listening, I'd love you to recommend the ObsPod to friends or colleagues and please do leave me a review on whichever podcast directory you find my episodes. Many thanks for listening.